Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Join with me, Neil Orfield, Player Q, DFS, NC Orfield 8K, uh, if you're if you're looking above you on your, in your DFS contests. Uh, this, this past uh, Sunday slate, uh, Neil, I was hoodwinked. I was hoodwinked, so? Neil. I'm telling you. I Tell me about it. I was, In what uh, way were you hoodwinked? Uh, uh, I, I made money. I made money only because of cash games. On DraftKings, I just basically played Renfro over Crowder and that just like, and, and Fournette over Eckler. And that, that got me there. Uh, so in total, in total between both sites, uh, I made a hundred bucks. Okay. That's a, Especially that's a when unique. I'm b- bombing in GPPs. So between the the afternoon slates on both sites and everything. So like, like I'm happy. Fine. I got a hundred dollars ahead on like 12,000 in volume. So that's like what? Yeah. I have a point, point, uh, 6% return or something. Not a huge ROI, but it's a, it's a. Positive ROI, so it's you positive. Can take that, yes, right? yes. I'll, I'll I'll look at the bright side. Uh, I was hoodwinked on the Cowboys ownership. Okay. Uh, the Lamb, Lamb, and Cooper came in way higher. Uh, I thought that the highest owned players, the highest owned wide receivers, were going to be Mike Williams, Hunter Renfro, and Chris Godwin. Because I mean, essentially, because that's who I played to cash. I mean, yeah. Uh, and I thought obviously Gibson Jacobs. Was going to be high at running backs, I, I, but I, I that was what happened. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't play, I didn't play those three guys outside of a stacks. Okay. Now, obviously, I'm playing 18 lineups. You're playing 150. So, like, right. I'm being very, you know, like I could make 7,000 lineups up, but I have to pick 18 of them. 18 only? I thought you played more like 60 to 80 usually. No, that's only if I'm doing like mass multi entry. I'm not playing the like the slant. And I, I've stopped because the slant is only 20K to first, and half, okay. more than half the entries are like 150 maxers now. So it's like right. either I max entry. Also, I had a show in the morning. I'm not max. I'm just building basically lineups for the power sweeps, the spies, the red zones, the $33.5 max. But I'm also throwing those lineups into the milli, throwing those lineups into play action. Those, like those lineups have very good min, ec- min cash equity that I just throw them in just. I, I I originally didn't, but then I saw how bad the lineups were in a lot of those contests. I'm like, like yeah, they're a little, they're not leveraged enough, but they could get there. So let me just throw them in, and maybe I can min cash. Uh, so yeah, that that's why it was 18, right? So okay. it, once you add up all those, it was you know 18 lineups. So right. so I had to be judicious on what I was going to do. So I just decided like I'm not going to play Godwin as a one off outside of a Brady or. Allen lineup, right? So either as the run back or as part of the stack. And they're not gonna not gonna play Williams unless it's with Herbert. Because I wasn't playing Mike Glennon. And then Renfro, unless it was with a run back with Mahomes, which I didn't even get because I got Jacobs in my one lineup with Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Uh so I was trying to avoid them as the one-offs. And I also was trying to avoid like the cheapo guys. Like, I didn't want to play Guyton or Guyton as a one-off. I didn't. I didn't want. I I wanted to make a much different construction, that I was playing like ten percent or lower guys as wide receiver one offs. Didn't mind eating the running back. Like I had a really small pool of six running backs. Most of them didn't do well, so it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a lot of Lamb, Cooper, Higgins, Chase, but no Burrow. I didn't play Burrow. Like I okay. played Jeff Will. Like I played 
Higgins and Chase across from Jeff Wilson, like as a secondary yeah. part. Since I was, I needed a cheap piece, and I didn't want to play cheap. I didn't want to play cheap wide receivers. Right. So yes, Higgins mm-hmm. and Chase had very good games, but Jeff Wilson had five points. So what did what did it matter? But the yeah. ownership, the ownership. I I had the Cowboys stack at like I had Lamb and Cooper at but somewhere between eight and eleven percent owned. Okay, Cooper was eight point five in the milli. I'm trying to I'm trying to find these guys to see what you're talking about exactly uh, within. No, I, I, I no, no. Cooper, Cooper was 14% in the milli. 14.94%. Amari Cooper. Was he? I, I'm, oh. I have results DB up on Roto Grinders. Okay. Yeah. So I think that. Lamb they, they in the milli. And obviously I'm not necessarily gearing my lineups to the milli, but in the yep. Wildcat, Lamb was 14.8 and Cooper was 12.9. They were higher owned in the milli. Lamb was 18.47, Cooper was 14.94. Now obviously okay. I'm pre- I'm I'm predicting them to be between 8 and 11 each. So that make that brings my the value of them like why aren't I playing a bunch of Cowboys? So I played out of my 18 lineups I played like three Dak stacks, but then I played Cooper and Lamb as like one-offs in a lot of lineups. Then when I saw the ownership I'm like I get, did everyone just see what I saw? It's like, well, why, why aren't I playing this guy at 10% ownership? And then they yep. come up and it's like, oh, and Renfro comes in at 14. And I'm like, not 20. I thought he was going to be like 22. And I'm right. like, I'm not going to play Renfro as a one-off at 22% ownership. Then I see Godwin at, at 12 in the milli. And I go, I thought he was going to be like 18 to 20. Uh, yep. And it's like, it's like, it's the same players. It's just that the amount like I still, I didn't mind a, even at that ownership. I would have ended up if I saw Lamb was going to be like eighteen percent owned. He would have been the guy. He would have been like, "Don't play Lamb as a one-off. Play him only yeah. with Dak." Right. So, so I'm, like guessing, that, I'm guessing Rotogrinders had pretty similar ownership projections to what Osimo had because yeah. Osimo had CD Lamb at nine percent and then came in at eighteen and a half, and then they had Amari Cooper at eight and a half percent. So that, that's what I was looking at before the ownership projections. Uh, right. Right. Cooper I'm not talking about the projection. Five. I'm talking about what yeah, the yeah, actual yeah. was. Right. I thought I was looking at actual, but I, I guess I got the wrong call in there. Yeah, so they had them projected for much, I mean, a lot lower ownership relatively uh, than what they actually came in at. So, yeah, I think uh, they, they would have been good plays at the ownership that they were projected at, and they became not as good of plays at the ownership they came in at. Uh, how did they actually do? Let's see. Uh, I'm sure you could tell me. Well, Let's Cooper see. had a deal. Hey, Cooper had a flame, but La- a Lamb didn't. Lamb had 14.6, Cooper 16.1. But Lamb's seventy two hundred, so like, yep. especially when I don't have Renfro in in in, in eighteen lineups. Like, what am I going to yeah, do? Yeah, you got to have Renfro. Right. Renfro had a game. Yep. I mean, I got me there in cash, so that's great. But I mean, it would have been I would have I would have played the complete opposite way. I would have essentially, other than Mike Williams, who was you know thirty percent owned, yeah. I would have not. I would have tied Lamb. Don't use Lamb as a one off, and then. Used Renfro and Godwin as as one offs as possibilities, more so. I mean, obviously, if you're building 150 lineups like you are, you could have a multitude of these types of lineups. So I, I mean, yeah. like I'm not against. It's like, oh, you should never. Oh, Mike Williams as a one off, you could never do that. It's like, no, it's just that I could build a thousand lineups and I have to choose 18 of them. Just like yeah. you could build a thousand lineups, you have to choose 150 of them. Maybe some of them are Mike Williams as a one off, and that makes sense in that lineup. But since I'm I'm really condensed, it's like I just need to make like I'm just not going to play any Jalen Guyton. Just he's overowned. 
Just don't play him. I'm playing Herbert Williams Cook, right, as my stack. I'm playing Barkley as the run back, and there you go. And if yeah. Guyton beats me, Guyton beats me because, I mean, I only have Herbert and Herbert stacks in four of my lineups. So it's not like I could get that much of a diversification of anything. And I just have to say that's my stand, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, like for, for, for you, I mean, did did – did you see the same thing? Did you were you over on on the on the Cowboys passing attack? I mean, I was even yes, Elliot was, was lower over. than I thought. Like I thought Elliot ownership would come up to like sixteen percent. Nope, no yeah. people just say he's dust and eight percent. So I was I was well over on Elliot. Uh, I saw the same thing as you there. I was well over on Cooper. I mean, not well. I came in at eighteen percent Cooper. Uh, with the expectation that it was going to be eight and a half percent, but he came at fourteen point nine. So I was a little bit over on Amari Cooper. Right, but you intended on in, being very over. I did, yeah. I thought right. I was going to be more than double the field on Cooper, uh, and I was actually under the field on C.D. Lamb. Which, um, truth be told, I don't know that there was any real reason for that. He just wasn't a player that you know is focusing on getting over the field on. I didn't think that he was you know a, a smash spot like I did with Amari Cooper. Um, and then I'm, I was well over the field on. Uh, Zeke as well. I'm trying to find my ownership here. Yeah, I, I had 25% Zeke. So I was, and he came in at uh, 7.9% owned overall. So yeah, I was triple the field on Zeke. I thought that he was just a great play without Tony Pollard in there at 7,300 um, in a really good spot and didn't didn't really work out. Yeah, <laughs> nine fantasy points. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm saying this as I'm like, do I remember this correctly? I don't think Zeke worked out. I know that overall I had a negative day. Each individual play, it's all kind of a blur to me. It was kind of a busy day yesterday. So I'm like, which of my plays did do horribly? I know Jermichael Hasty did horribly. And I know I was well over on him because I just watched the uh, the lineup review show on Awesome. I, I think I told you once that I would, uh, I'm would i going to start playing 149 lineups so that my my lineups aren't reviewed because people won't look for the, the guy playing 149. Um, Obviously joking, because it, it is kind of fun to see people analyze your lineups, but um, sometimes it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know that I had a reason for doing that. It's just kind of, I ran out of time, and that's where I was at. And uh, Eric prompted Adam, asked, said, so it looks like Neil had 19% to Michael Hasty. That's really interesting. What do you think of that? And Adam's response was, well, I think it's insane. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it probably was insane to be. But what, what led you, What I mean, had how did that end up happening in the first place? Because... Either, yeah. either you're, I mean, like from a projection standpoint, I mean, I'm looking at, I mean, I could bring this up. Let's, I mean, in so my I was aggregate, trying to get to some. Okay. But he actually did not. Okay. Hold on a second. I was going to, I was going to yell at you <laughs> for like, why are you playing a guy that's in my aggregate, which is of, of multi of across the entire industry, his aggregate projection was 9.1 and he's a 4k running back. So his salary adjusted value is only like minus 1.65. Like like his salary adjusted value when it comes to running backs was higher than Burkhead Hubbard and Devonta Freeman and Nick Chubb for the price and Dontrell Hilliard. I mean, you, you, you're not in a good range of running back, but at least right, right. it's not like, it's not it's not as insane as what I, yeah. I in, in, as far as a, uh, uh, salary adjusted value standpoint, I'm going to count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. He was 20th, but he okay. was right in the same range as Deonta Foreman or yeah. Melvin Gordon or CEH or Ty Johnson. Like, so no, I mean, other than having him in like a fifth of your lineups, 
It's kind yeah. of like a Which, little, I mean, but that's, that's, but that's your own personal risk tolerance. I can't expose your wise. It doesn't matter to me what you do, yep. but uh, just like uh, on the awesome all lineup review show, like Mike Shanahan and the running backs on San Francisco, uh, that could go a lot of different ways. And if Hasey is going to be a uh, 2% owned while Wilson's going to be 18% owned, like Wilson's projection right. was 12.93 aggregate. So the difference yeah, exactly. between that, that's a four point difference in projection and the ownership difference is nine X. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that's how I play. I like to find, I go by projections to begin with as a base point, And then I find spots where I like to get different just because it's a lot easier to cut through the field. If you're playing guys here and there that are under 2% owned, under 3% owned, then sticking to a bunch of guys that are 8% owned. I think you can just cut through the field a lot easier by finding spots that you want to take advantage of with hasty in particular. I don't think that I had really a great reason. I think the only piece of content that I consumed this past week, because it was kind of a busy week for me, uh, was the On the Contrary show. And I believe Alex said on the show that he didn't think that Jeff Wilson was going to be uh, – you know, the, the workhorse back at all of the carries, he thought it would be a little bit more of a split than the industry thought. Um, and then on top of that, for me, I, I don't know if I overvalue this, you know, I don't, I don't try to predict injury injuries in general, but I know that Jeff Wilson is injury prone and it felt like kind of a spot where man, Jeff Wilson's just one play away from getting hurt. Uh, I think that I, I kind of like playing those spots where I'm like, he's going to have a role regardless, even without an injury Demichael Michael might take on a big role. If they get behind, he is the third down receiving back. I like playing those kind of guys when they're 4,000, he's going to have a role regardless. And he could have a huge role at no ownership. He's just one play away from it or the game, you know, the game script going in that direction. Those are the kind of guys that I like to somehow sometimes get well over the field on. I don't, I wasn't shooting for, 20% Jamichael Hasty. That's just kind of where I ended up uh, when I did my final build. I also had 20% uh, Deontay Foreman, which worked out a little bit better. Um, was looking really good early on and then kind of faded, faded out a little bit. But If you're talking uh, about banged up running backs, why didn't you have 20% Corey Clement? Because I don't, I don't think he's as good of a player and he wasn't in as good of a spot. And they don't like to run the ball quite as much. I just think, you know, Zeke gets hurt. I don't think that Dallas is like, I want to feed Corey Clement the same way. If Jeff Wilson gets hurt, I thought it was more likely that they'd be um, going to Jamichael. And I thought that just his baseline role, I thought it was more likely that Jamichael Hasty would be the guy uh, who would have a work, uh, have a lot of work, even if Jeff Wilson didn't get hurt. Whereas Corey Clement, like I didn't see him getting a ton of carries uh, with Zeke still in there. And then he ended up getting more than, more than I expected, but you know, I, I can't see, I can't predict the future. So did you, did you play a little bit of both lines running backs until you saw that the third is actually the practice squad guy. <laughs> so I saw that it was the practice squad guy after I had actually finished my final. So I finished my DraftKings lineups at probably an hour and 20 minutes before lock, something like that. And my hope was that I would find time to come back to them. And of course I didn't get back to it after that point. So I, I finished my DraftKings, then I went to my FanDuel and then I worked on my Yahoo and uh, I, I spend way more time on the DraftKings ones, but uh, if I could have it back, if I had had more time, I think I would have lowered those guys a little bit. After yeah, but no one that. would have known. You didn't know until the game, until you see. I mean, they had three running backs active, and it's like, okay, well, you figured Jamar Jefferson on first and second down, Godwin Iguibuke at third down, and then they got a guy on the practice squad just to fill in once in a while. It's like, nope. Well, there, there was a report that said they were expecting him to have a big workload. Yeah, but I, I how many, see, we said I, I, mean, I mean, come on, but really? But it wasn't from Ian Rappaport. It was from some random guy. So I trust <laughs> some random guy more than Ian Rappaport, of course. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know. Do what you to do, do you trust those? I mean, uh, I mean, we also saw this week that uh, Pete Carroll said Rashad Parody would have a bigger role, and he did have a bigger role. But Pete Carroll yep. lies more than that. I mean, come on. Yeah. So, uh, no, I would not say that I trust them, but I do think that if it's uh, gives you incentive to play somebody that nobody else is playing, like sometimes, occasionally, like I, I will factor in those reports because sometimes you see those reports late that nobody else has seen. Uh, sometimes that's a way that you can maybe find a little bit of a, you know, it adds a little bit of volatility. It gives you a spot where you can find a little edge at low ownership. So sometimes I think that if I had actually, so I, I mentioned that I had a kind of chaotic week. I think that if this were a week where I had my usual amount of time to look at it, I feel like I would have gotten to some Rashad Penny because he was the kind of play that I, you know, there's so much volatility in that spot. He is 4,800. He's playing against the Texans. Uh, I, for some reason, am a sucker for Rashad Penny always. Um, so I think that I probably would have had a fair amount of Rashad Penny if I had given it more thought independent of, you know, tools and looking at other stuff. If I had just thought about it more myself, I think I would have played some Rashad Penny. I feel like that was a big, pretty big miss on my part. Because I think that is, that's a player that, that's a spot that I think that I would have liked normally. Even, you could have played even both in, pennies. You could play played Elijah Penny also. He got a touchdown. Did he? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I got it for the Giants. Uh, okay. I, I think the key point here with the coach speak, like that's what we call it, coach speak. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean just NFL. We've seen I'm Doc saying Rivers. independent of the coach speak. Just for the record, when I say that, I think that it was a miss for me. I'm saying independent of the coach speak. I think that he was a fine play against the Texans for 4,800. I think that I would have wanted to have some at no ownership. But then the coach speak, again, adds in some volatility. Um, so then it just No, but I think, I think that's why you play more. it because of the coach speak. Like, like we, we see like Doc Rivers with the 76ers lineup. You can never trust what he says. Is Embiid? Right. It, Doc Rivers acts like he's not at practice. I, I don't know. I, he may, he seems, maybe he's fine. Like, oh, he's questionable? There? Really? Yeah. Right. That happened I, last year. He was like, oh, I didn't know he was questionable. <laughs> so right. Come on. Come on. Uh, the, the reason, what, when, when we say fading coach speak or not paying attention to coach speak, I think it's, uh, when it's reflected in ownership. Exactly. Like that, to me, to me, like this Rashad Penny thing, for instance, uh, Pete Carroll said that Penny will have more of a role. Now, if that meant that Penny was going to go from 1% owned to 8% owned, I'm willing to just not to say, let everyone else fall down that rabbit hole. But if if, if he goes from 1% to 2% owned, and it's like a 2%, what what's the upside here that he gets eighty percent of the carries on a team that likes to run the ball as a ten right. point favorite? Like like that's the that's the upside. You want it that like you said that volatility, but when the field is embracing that volatility, that's when you want to get. That's that's why I, exactly. I looked at like Javante Williams with Gordon back, yep. like and people were acting as if like oh now now because of the last game they're just gonna they're yep. gonna feed he Williams won the role. Back. He's the guy now. Yep. Right. And I'm like, no, you're way too confident in that. Like Gordon's like, like yep. back. So like, I'm just, I'm just going to X out Javante Williams and let, you know, I'm not going to play a 22% on guy in a timeshare for the Broncos. People are overconfident. Now, if it was the type of thing where Javante Williams was 2% owned, like then, then I'll play. If he was 2% owned and the coach said, no, we're, we're, we're going to probably run with a, 
a 50-50 backfield. And the whole field was like, yep, you can't play Javante Williams anymore because right. they're going to run with a 50-50 backfield. I'll be like, no, I'm going to take a shot that maybe maybe Coach Speak doesn't matter. And the last game was so good that they're just going to give Javante Williams the ball. Like, it, it's not the, – the, the key point here is just like what we do in DFS in general of leveraging ownership is that we're not trying to predict what the outcome is going to be. We just want to see how the market, how the field – is reacting to the variance of the situation. And we want it typically be on the other side of the confidence. Yep. Agree agree one hundred percent. Maybe not nineteen percent on the other side with Hasty, but but I mean, hey, if you want it, hey, if you want to take a stand there, that's perfectly fine. But but yeah. to me, I view that type as it if if you played Hasty in your lineups, it doesn't matter how many of your lineups or whatever, I don't think I I think playing the Detroit running backs we're perfectly fine. I think like all these situations, if you played Deonta Foreman, if you played Dron- Dontrell Hilliard, but actually Dontrell Hilliard came in at 8% ownership in the Millie. Which Did he really? Just, was he just, higher than, he was higher than Foreman then. Right, because he had a good game last week. Oh, right, okay. Right, because so you get the recency bias. Yeah, Dontrell Hilliard in the Millie was 6.83% owned. Yep. Deonta Foreman was 4.85% owned. So like I take a look at like Jamar Jefferson, uh, in the Millie was 3.08. Godwin Iquibuque is 1.88. So, like, if I told you that, like, they're both low-owned, but, like, given the choice, I'm going to choose Iquibuque because he's lower. Like, like what matters between the two? I, I No one has any idea what's going on in that situation. Right. If you... Pl- if you played Alex Collins at 1.45% ownership because you're like, I don't believe Pete Carroll... I think that's perfectly fine also. It's just the matter of, like, even with Elliot, for instance, I over, I over, uh, I over predicted, or whatever, I, I thought the field was going to react more to that. Like, the fact that Pollard was, even on Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, was reported, like, not optimistic to play at all. So yeah. I'm like, well, Zeke's only 7,300, and who else is playing? I mean, like, People don't like playing Zeke. They think he's dust, which may be true. Uh, but I thought his ownership would go from, I had him originally projected at about around 8% ownership. And I bumped him up to like 14 or 15. Uh, and at that rate, he's still, I still was like, he's under-owned at yeah, 14 and 15. But I'm looking at this. I also see Lamb and Cooper as under-owned at 8 to 11. So I'm like, what do I do here? It's like, well, I'm just going to play I played a lot of it in, in, in different lineups. And knowing the ownership, how it came out, like it would have been that I would have had like, out of my 18 lineups, I may have only had Lamb in like two Dak stacks. I would have had Cooper and maybe as in those lineups as well as like maybe three other as one-offs maybe. And then I had Zeke Elliott in eight of my lineups instead right. based on that ownership. But it's if you tell me that Zeke Elliott was, because of that news, was going to be 26% owned... I would have been then the first person to say, I, I, I could maybe I X this guy out completely. Maybe I only right. have him in two out of my 18 lineups. And you most likely would be under the field on yeah, them. For sure. But that, but that's the key point, and especially when you're on awesome shows, to highlight that it's not predicting the outcome. It's right. knowing the range of outcomes, and then whichever side the, the field is too confident on, you're on the other side of it. Yeah. And the and the and the one and the, when the field is hesitant to embrace the variance, 
you're more likely to be like, well, what happens if it's this way? It's low, it maybe lower probability, but your yeah. payout is so much more when they're so much lower owned. That's where I get my catchphrase. That's what the tools say, because that's what the boom bust tool basically tells you. It gives you the ownership. It gives you the optimal line of probability and it gives you a leverage score based on the disparity there. And you can kind of, you know, make your lineups accordingly, go over the field, go under the field based on what those are saying. And I don't use it for, I don't use, you know, rely on it hundred percent, but I think that it's usually a good starting place to look at what do the tools say? What are, what is the ownership coming in at? What uh, is the chance that this player is going to be in the optimal lineup according to our Sims? I think that's a really good starting place for making your lineups. But you also have to realize that the tools are all built around the projected ownership that they're run through. Sure. Right. So like I, I do look at the boom bust tool on awesome. O, mm. but I don't just, what you could do, what most people would do is go to the leverage column and sort from top to bottom and go the ones with the higher score, like they're under-owned and the ones with the lower score are over-owned, but that's in relation right. to the projected ownership at Osimo. Right. That's true. Right. So you have to look at that and go, well, if you're going to adjust that, so like Cooper could come in or Lamb could come in at like heavily positive leverage at 9% ownership, but at yep. 18% ownership, most likely it's going to be negative leverage. So it's like, yeah. if, now, obviously, if you trust the tools from one site, which Neil, you tend to, I'm a more, I'm more of an. I aggregate a whole bunch of stuff, and then I manually adjust ownership. Uh, I can't just simply look at that column. I have right. to look. I have to look at the the Sims because it's still based around your projections at Awesome O, which are similar to the in, enough to around to the industry that I don't mind using those figures. But then I have to look and compare it to the ownership that I have. So I'm looking right. and going like, like, oh, I think Renfro is going to be 22% owned, not 16% owned. So even though it shows as positive leverage here, it's really negative leverage to me, yeah. right? So like those, to me, th those are, uh, you can obviously just use the, like one source, one tools, one everything. And yeah. especially in this industry, no matter where you go, they're, they're, they're all close enough. And they're still better than what you, what you could produce yourself. You're better off than most people, yeah. Right. And you you were saying last week that so for when you're doing your own ownership projections, you're looking at all of the different sites, and are you aggregating them like in a spreadsheet somewhere? You're you're just making kind of manual adjustments based on your intuition. Right. I listen to a lot of shows and whatever like that, so I bump. It's like okay, we have uh, Antonio Gibson is going to be much higher on than this. I don't know by how much, but. I, I'm get a guess around, it'll be around 30, right? And then I have to push yeah. down. It's like Javante Williams, I bumped down to like 16. So I thought he would be under over at 16 and he came in at 22. So I'm like, why are people playing him with Gordon back, right? So like, yeah. I'm, I'm, so I'm going through and adjusting stuff like that and then going to the wide receivers and, and the stacks and going, well, I thought Herbert would be higher owned because Mike Williams was going to be, higher on and Guyton was going to be higher on. And actually mm -hmm. a lot of people played Williams and Guyton as one-offs yeah. more than what I thought her, like I wasn't happy with getting like four Herbert stacks. I really didn't want to play Herbert because I thought Herbert would be 10% owned because the, the second, the, 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 the skill position players are going to drag his ownership up. And yeah. the same reason why I on. didn't, right. Well, the same reason I didn't want to play that. any of the saints guys so I thought Taysom Hill's ownership would drag Kamara and Traquan Smith and any anyone Callaway, oh, who knows, Callaway, yeah. right up with them. So it's like, okay, I'm not. I think that's overowned. I'm going to get rid of them. So yeah. like, like a lot of times, like once you start moving stuff manually, 
You have to move other stuff with it. So, so in, in your in your 18 lineups, did you play any Taysom? No. Okay. And is that because you like to stack and you, you don't want to have to worry about that wider, you know? Well, I also thought he was overall. I thought, hey, Taysom Hill for GPP was overall. Yeah. And he, he obviously got there in the end, but kind of, he was looking pretty bad for a while. It was looking like it was really smart to fade him until right at the end. And even, even then, I mean, because Josh Allen did so well, maybe it was the right move to fade him anyway. Did you play any Josh Allen? Yeah, I, Josh, I, Josh Allen okay. at 6 out of 18. And I didn't. Nice. I only had digs in one lineup. Okay. So I, I played a lot of single-stack Josh Allen with either Cole Beasley or Emmanuel Sanders. And obviously the Sanders ones, yep. right, because he got injured. But I was single sta- primarily single-stacking him and then running it back with Godwin Evans or Gronk and like, or Fournette or one, like I played, my my main exposure was that game. Yeah. Just a matter of getting all the other pieces right. I think the, the Millie winning lineup was, uh, Allen with Cole Beasley, uh, and then no run back. I mean, for for what you want to take from a Millie winning lineup, I don't know that you can read too much. Right. But you could have used Fournette or Godwin. They both got there. So that would have been just as good as any other one-off. My problem is that when you have Gibson, and Jacobs and Elliot, like my running backs, like I just, other than Fournette, like the running backs didn't really get there. Barkley did okay, I guess. 18 yeah, points. Yeah, fine. Right. But really the run, like I, I just, in my 18 lineups for the smaller field contest, I was trying to get much different at wide receiver more than I was at running back. And the running backs just didn't get there. It didn't matter in cash games, but yeah, that was just that, that would that would those were the choices I'm I I I'm not playing J Michael Hasty when I'm playing 18 lineups and I have Jeff Wilson there projecting four points higher and my right. li- and my lineup is already different enough my, my contest uh, my lineups are geared towards 5,000 entry contests so it's not geared towards the milli so it's like for a 5,000 entry contest why am I playing the 20th highest run? I I consider playing Deonta Foreman more b- before playing J Michael Hasty. Yeah, I played more Dante Foreman than than J. Michael Hasty, for what it's worth. <laughs> right. But I think that. Yeah. But I think. But I think the key. The key here is that, uh, like when we talk, when we, I mean, we're kind of reviewing the slate to some extent, but we're yeah. not talking. We we're not talking about. We're, I'm not. I'm not contemplating anything I did based on the results. Right. Just based on your reasoning going in and whether it was good reasoning for me. So the only thing that I'm like, this was a miss for me is Rashad Penny, because I think that he was actually a solid play at the ownership that he came in at and at his projected ownership. I think that he was a play that made a lot of sense at 4,800 against the Texans with the coach saying he's going to get a bigger role. Whether you want to add any value with that, even without it, I think he was a solid enough play at that price in that matchup. Uh, with a 10 point spread. So I think that was a miss for me um, even, but of course uh, hindsight is 2020. I think it was probably a miss even without the, the hindsight factor though. I think it was, he was a solid play for those who played him. Um, how about defenses? You want to talk defenses at all? <laughs> What's it talk about defenses? Well, that, sh- should, should we be getting rid of it? That was uh, Eric Lindquist yesterday on Twitter was saying defense should not be part of DFS. You disagree with that statement. Uh, I disagree because it, uh, variance is good for the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, I think I disagree with the same. I, I I get where he's coming from. I don't hate the idea. If if they decide to get rid of defense, I'm not going to boycott. No, we would uh, want, uh, from a short-term perspective, sharper players would want less variance because it, it allows them to uh, benefit from their skill more. But 
just like in poker, you have to have the bad players win often enough to keep on playing. So defense allows, like, there's no edge that we could get from defense, really. So that's kind of like we're playing eight players, and then this, like, we're rolling a die, right? We're playing the roulette wheel on the last one because, and then there's there's some slates that defenses really don't matter. Like the right. highest scoring defense is 10 points. Yeah. And then sometimes it's one defense that scores 26 and everyone else is garbage, right? Yep. So you really don't know what you're going to get there. Uh, but a bad player could take a bad lineup, win with, you know, a 1% on 26 point defense. And like, we, we want that money to stay in the ecosystem, but if yeah. it wasn't for that, we, it, it's never good when you go on lineup rewind or on results DB and uh, for any, for MLB, NBA, NFL, and go to the large field GPP and sort from one to 50 places and see like, it's like mostly 150 max players. Right. Like if that, if that's happening day in and day out, like that's, that's, that's not good for anyone long term. Short term, yeah. We're raking in the money. But then two years from now, it's like, wow, how come how come my ROI is now like so much lower? It's because yeah, because all those bad players are broke. Right. So you you yeah. need that, you need that die. You need the variance to be thrown in. You need you need to have people being able to win with mag, you know, banging your head against the keyboard type of lineups. MLB lineups. You know how many times, Neil, we'll get into baseball season. You're going you're gonna to get this question uh, probably at least two or three times a week doing the Awesome O shows. Uh, there'll be a slate where the, the winning GPP lineup is like eight one-offs. Yep. <laughs> right? Like just like the eight, the two guys that hit three home runs and a bunch of people that hit home runs and like, like there's no correlation, no stack, no nothing. And then people ask, is it necessary to stack? And it's like, well, well, yeah, you increase your chances of winning, but there's also 40,000 lineups in this contest and right. 5,000 of them are from people that are literally banging their head against the keyboard. There's a chance that one of those 5,000, you sh- I said that I'll change my perspective when you show me someone that constantly builds lineups that are not stacked, that the same person starts winning and profiting. Right. Because yeah. all we're seeing is one lineup from some random person, and it's yeah. always a different random person. Because there's yeah. obviously people that build their lineups on the toilet and just go, oh, "These are my favorite players," or whatever the hell it is. Like yeah. you show somebody that builds 150 lineups that way, that is profitable. Or show me the same guy that builds one lineup that way and has won four GPPs in the course of a MLB season. The same person. Yeah. Then at least that I mean mathematically there's still nothing to talk about but at least you'd have more of a case but just like so, random dude like we see the mill there's, there's 200,000 entries in this contest well this guy played this lineup stacked three guy you know played two of the chiefs running backs together aren't they negatively correlated it's like dude anything could happen and, yeah. and there's so many different screwed up lineups in these contests that like over time right long run you're you're going to be profitable you're going to have a positive expected value building lineups in this way, which isn't yeah. as stringent as people think. In a way that makes sense. Yep. Right, in a way that makes sense to some degree, projection, yep. ownership, and correlation-wise. But you'll still have, you know, and out of 200,000 entries in this contest, there are probably 20,000 entries of single bullets and two or three lineups of random Joe Schmo at the bar that's just like, 
I don't I don't see any yeah. reason why I can't play two running backs from the same team or three wide receivers without the quarterback and and like those types of things and weird things happen in NFL and if there's 20,000 people doing those weird fucked up things it's inevitable that one of them is. Almost, someone's going to yeah so right. let me tie this let me tie this back into NFL just a little bit uh do you ever play a naked quarterback or do you always play a quarterback with a pass catcher uh i see the value in playing a naked quarterback but typically i don't cuz typically okay. that typically they go overowned okay so i think that i'm getting away from it a little bit because I think so early in the year, I think I was doing it a little bit more looking at the boom bust tool. Often those quarterbacks, the Taysom Hill types look really good in the boom bust tool. And my thinking then was like, well, you know, they, they project so well, should I really be getting away from this player who has such a high chance of being in the optimal lineup just because you can't find somebody to pair him with, maybe I should just play him without a stack. And then the longer, as I've been thinking about it more using the tools, I I'm, using the top stacks tool a lot more than the boom bust tool just because I know I'm like, well, this is kind of faulty reasoning because like baseball, that's true too. Like, like why don't I just play the top projected baseball players if I want to, you know, follow that same logic. So I think using the logic that I applied to baseball in particular, it's like, well, it's obvious that you should play the top stack rather than the top individual quarterback. Um, but it's hard. I mean, I saw Rinpak played 150 Taysom Hill lineups yesterday. He was just going for the top projected plays and it, I think, I mean, he didn't win the contest or anything, but obviously the play worked out fairly well. Um, but yeah, so I think that I I am moving away from naked quarterbacks for the most part as well. Just kind of an interesting concept of, you know, how much correlation is there? Obviously in baseball, I think stacking is a lot more important than it is to get the one additional piece right in football or, you know, two if you're stacking with two receivers, three if you're bringing a run back, you know, you can build in more correlation. But it's not, it's clearly not very not as strong as it is in baseball where it's like, yeah, the, the stacking is just, there's such a strong correlation in baseball as there is for football. But I still think that there's enough of a correlation in football that it's worth, you know, building in stacks rather than trying to go to one-offs. Well, it, everything is always based on, on the, the scale of how much projection and leverage that you get from the correlation. So like yep. you tell me Taysom Hill, let's say, let's make his price. A thousand. I don't mind playing him in as a naked quarterback because he's just so undervalued. What if he's ninety percent owned though? What if he's what? Ninety percent owned at one thousand. Well, then, then maybe you don't, even though he's so dramatically right. But you, you yeah. understand? You're making the I understand example what you're yes, right, yes. of these levers mattering. Of yep. like, like, uh, like, oh, I can't play this guy. Like we see in NBA, this guy's going to be eighty percent owned at four K. I can't play a guy that that's that owned. Yeah, but he should be ninety five percent owned. Yeah, yeah. So it's he's actually still under owned. And then yep. you see, uh, uh, guys that are so like, what? Where is like? Okay, he's four thousand underpriced. It's like, well, if he's ninety eight percent owned, maybe you could not play them in some line. So it's the same thing with the correlation of the lower the prices. I because people ask me this in NBA. And NBA, the correlations are so weak in NBA that if you if you literally remove that lever from your entire process, you wouldn't be given up much. Or like like yeah. you could almost not even care about it. Like that shouldn't be your priority. Let, let projection and leverage be your priorities. And this is like once you get these two levers good, then you could start tweaking and try to get in a little extra edge 
from yeah. that type of stuff, from the correlation stuff. But people ask me like, uh, you know, can I play Giannis and Middleton together? Can I play like, like it's not in a vacuum. It's what are their prices? Yeah. Like you tell, you tell me like uh, on, on the bulls and the bulls are dead now. I don't know. I, do they have any players? Do they all have COVID or something? Yeah. But I did not. I thought we were past the point of games being postponed, like multiple at a time. This is a, uh, I was kind of surprised by the, two games being postponed in a row, but we don't need to get into all that. It's just surprised me to see that right before the show. Right. But I, I'm talking about like people like, like Levine and DeRozan for the bulls. Yeah. And they're both like 8k 8,500 is like, well, they take away from like, there's if, if DeRozan puts up 70 fantasy points, Levine is, doesn't have a flame emoji above, above right. him. Right. True. So like they're at their 80th plus percentiles. They start getting negatively correlated to each other. Yeah. Uh, but it depends on their price. If they're both four thousand, yep. like they're they're four thousand under price each. Like yeah. like they they they're going to project for a median of eleven x. And why wouldn't you want to jam both of them into your lineup? They're both going to they're like what's getting there for a four k player? What it'd be easier to set if you could set a rule that's like max salary used from a team would mm-hmm. make a lot more sense than max number of players from a team. But that's not some. I mean, in fantasy cruncher, I don't think you have that option. Um, you could do it manually with groups, but yeah, I mean, but the concept totally applies. The concept on. applies that like it the and even if two players are negatively correlated, we had like oh if if we had a showdown slate with the Broncos and it was like Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, and Melvin Gordon's ninety six hundred and Javante Williams is eighty eight hundred, I'd be less inclined to play both of them in the same lineup. But you tell me that that Melvin Gordon's ninety six hundred and Javante Williams is twelve hundred. Like, I don't mind playing both of them. Or you tell me both of them are 2,000. It's like I'm jamming them into every lineup. It's like, yeah, but or, they're, they're never on the same field, on the field at the same time. It's like, but yeah, they if, project if so well in, their price. If they're coming in at, if they're 9,600 and 8,800 and they're both coming in at 1% or 2% owned, then you probably do want to play them together. I mean, right. that, those are, yeah, yes. It's all a matter of getting leverage on the field and getting different. And yeah, there's so many different factors. But in general, yes, the... Your point stands that uh, you don't. You're not going to want to play them at 9,600 and 8,800 if they're both 20 percent owned because it's so unlikely that both of them are going to get there. That for their price, know, for their salary, for their price, exactly. right? Yep. They're still negatively correlated. Like the thing is, they're still negatively correlated. That yes. doesn't. It, it, people treat correlation as a yes/no question. What all it yep. is is a mathematical factor question on the two other levelers, right? Of like yep. someone's projected for X. They're owned at X. The correlation between these two either boosts them up a little or boosts them down a little, but it's not mm-hmm. a, like a yes or a no question. It's like, how much How much is the correlation worth? And what yeah. are their prices that that even with negative correlation, We, I mean, the centers in, in, in NBA, like why would you ever play the starting center in a backup center? It's like, well, what happens if they both were 3K? I mean, like, right. like then you probably still could. And then you go, okay, I can play. Piece. Yeah, they can both, yeah, go They off. can both get there at that price. And then once you once you go, their projection is so, they projected the two best values in the entire slate. So you play them both together. But now you have to factor in now what their ownership is. So now it's like maybe one guy, the starting center in that scenario is twice as owned as the backup center. And you're like, they're both the best value plays. A lot of people are going to play both in the same lineup, but maybe I'm just going to play the only, the, the lower owned guy Right, because the ownership is different now. If if right. if they're both the best value plays on the slate and they're both five percent owned, 
Like you're just you're playing 100 percent of both yeah, in it, every yeah. lineup, but DFS is not that like is not the field is not that stupid. Very often, yeah. Right, right. You you don't see the the field is not stupid, stupid. Like so when I when I give exaggerative examples, it's it's meant as a teaching tool. Yeah, right. You're never gonna find when I when I show the example of like here's a guy that projects for X. He's twenty percent owned. Here's the same price, same thing, and I got at one percent owned. Like you don't see that. You may right. see one at eighteen and one at sixteen, like a little bit of a gap, but you're not. Gonna, you're never going to find those. That. Like, like, oh wow, the best value play on the slate is three percent owned. It's like if he's coming up as the best value played on the slate at three percent owned, that means well, your player projections are wrong. <laughs> except for in basketball, if news comes out after lock that most people haven't accounted for, that's right. That's the one exception where it's like you do everything you can to jam in that player in that scenario. But yeah, football typically doesn't happen. Baseball typically doesn't happen. Basketball is a one sport where occasionally you do find a guy who's 5% owned, who would have been 70% if the news had come out before lock, which is why I love basketball. I think we talked about this on Twitter a little bit last year. You don't, you're not a fan of that. I'm like, yeah, give me all that. Cause I just want to take advantage of. Oh, I'm a fan of the edge. I'm player. just not a fan of the work. Oh, I know. I, I know. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> the work can be a little bit much, especially if you're like going out. It's so frustrating. Um, but how do how do you do I'm, that? No, do you, are you telling me that you 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 put in 150 lineups and then go out during a slate? We talked about this on on my first uh, time with you on your show. Yes. So I on my phone I use the late swaptimizer tool on Fantasy Cruncher, uh, which I actually at this point I use the late swaptimizer tool even as I'm building my first run, like even before, because you can use it uh, on main slates mm. before lock as well. You can't do it on showdown, um, which I understand why you can't, but I wish you could. Um, but yeah, so I can I can make my lineups anywhere. I actually had one of my closest, uh, I didn't win last year, but I got second, was on a slate that I decided to play 15 minutes before the slate. It was an NBA slate. I was at my parents' house. I wasn't planning on playing, but for some reason, like I kept getting notifications of players being out and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Oh man, this slate this slate's really fun. I look at it before lock and I was like, oh shit, there's still two thousand entries left in this tournament and just decided spur of the moment, fifteen minutes before lock to play and then adjusted like I ran maybe four crunches on Fantasy Cruncher, changing projections, and ended up a three pointer. Fred Fred Van Vliet missed a three pointer at the buzzer, would have won me a hundred thousand and said I got second for twenty five or thirty thousand or something. Yeah, so sometimes those can be pretty profitable slates if you're just like aware of what's going on and just like be ready, you know. Even when you're out, you can do it on your phone. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to concentrate on anything. I mean, you just got to look at it five minutes before each lock time to see what's changed. See if you need to make any huge adjustments. Maybe it's it's a person. Maybe it's just a me thing. I I I, I consider I, I'm probably I'm I'm probably on the autism spectrum. I'm probably you want to be more present. If you're if you're out somewhere, you want to be present where you are. Right? No, I'm 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 more I'm a hyper focuser. Okay. I think that's a better way. Like my brain works. And like in like I do one thing at a time, like I can't do three things at one. Like anytime okay. I could do try to do three things at once, I do them poorly. I get distracted and my mood changes of like, like I don't want to be distracted by anything. It's like I'm doing this. Yep. I'm not thinking okay. about anything else. Right. I'm doing the I'm doing the podcast right now with you. I'm not thinking about what's going on or people making fun of Ben the better. I'm not I'm not thinking about any of that type of stuff. Fun of ben the better. He just won five thousand dollars. Well, he got he got his money from for Brian. He did. I right? saw that. Yep. Who doesn't have a PayPal account? I don't know. Uh, I, I think that he didn't want his identity outed. No, I know. I that's what I figured as well. Yeah. Uh, 
But but the point being is that that's the reason why like I yeah. don't want to I don't play NBA. You want to do an one NFL thing day, last. right? One yeah. like when lock. I could do soccer in the morning, MMA in the after. I could I, if they're spaced out like that. That's perfectly fine. But I like focusing on well NBA lock is at seven, and I need to pay attention. I don't know when this news possibly comes out, but I need to be locked in to yep. what do I do if this thing happens? I don't want to be in the middle of watching a TV show. I don't want to be, cause I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to concentrate on that thing yep. while this thing is already going on. So that, that this is the main reason why I said like, I'm I, with the shows that I'm doing and not being able to be in a groove day in and day out. It's like, I'll just wait for NFL to be over. Then I'll, then I'll do NBA and I'll know that, you know, seven to, if I can't be around, uh, from, you know, six o'clock Eastern to 1030 Eastern at any point, like it's like, cause obviously an hour before lock, you got to build lineups. So yeah. like, if like, that's, 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 that's what it's set out to be. Like, there's nothing, I'm just staring at my computer. I mean, it's like, I'm not even going out and doing anything. I'm like, 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 oh, lock hits at seven o'clock and it's seven oh one. What do I do? It's like, well, I'm preparing for the seven thirty game to lock. I'm preparing yeah. for the eight o'clock game to lock. Right. I may go get a drink. I may go get something, you know, a slice of pizza to eat or something, whatever like that. But I'm just because everything's moving. So like my lineups are going to be moving up and down. So it's now like, well, do I switch these lineups? Do I not switch those lineups? It's like that's all my focus. Yeah. So I can't focus on anything else. So if I can't, okay. if, I, if I'm not able to hyper focus on something, I'd just rather not do it. It's probably a, a life plus EV move as well. Going back to your podcast with Eric about a month ago, your plus life mm -hmm. EV. It's probably plus life EV for you to not be playing those slates if you're out doing stuff. Um, maybe I'm just an addict. Maybe that's the only reason that I do it. And I've actually, this year, I'm taking off a lot more slates than I have in the past. Like I don't, I'm, I'm probably not going to be playing NBA tonight because I'm just going to be doing showdown. I'm going to be on a show tonight, so I'm probably not going to play NBA um, and there have been slates this year that I have just taken off, even just because I'm going out and doing stuff and I know I'm not going to be able to focus. But I guess if I'm going out and I'm still going to be able to have my phone on me and the slate looks interesting to me, I'm still probably going to play just because I yeah, enjoy with doing 150 it. lineups. Like I, the only time that I could do that is, is the only time I've ever done it is more like in soccer. Where I typically I'm not playing a lot of lineups. I, I may only be playing cash. I may only be playing three lineups, and then it's like okay. And I, we've had in the past. Now they now they've kind of cut off some of the like the late the way that it's scheduled out. So they only have the slate with the games that are happening at the same time. But mm -hmm. it used to be on Saturdays where like they'd have four 10 a, 10 a.m. games, and then there'll be one 12:30 p.m. late game on the same slate. And mm -hmm. the problem with soccer is that you don't get the starting lineups until an hour before before kickoff. And they rotate players. So it's not like you can kind of predict, but you'll you'll always have to okay. check. And what happens if this guy's in? He's the best player on the slate if he starts. But if right. he doesn't start, you're fucked. I mean, like, it's you, uh. you have to be prepared for that type of stuff. So, like, if I'm not, like, I could do that for soccer with very few lineups of, like, I'm pre-planning my lineups at 10 a.m. going, if this guy's in, I could do this. If that guy's out, I could do that and whatever. And then an hour before that game, you know, the, the first games come to an end. The starting lineups for the 1230 game come out. Like, I've been out and say, you know, I'm, you know, go to the bathroom. You know, you lock the door in the bathroom or whatever. And you go, let me check the lineups. 
Okay, this guy's in, that guy's out. Oh, they have a cheap fullback in. I could do this little switch there. And like within two or three minutes, like I'm, I'm done. But I don't, because I could do it on my phone because I only have three lineups. Right. 150 lineups. I mean, I, I, dude, I can't do that on my phone at all. Like I need to, like, I don't, I don't know about you, but like I could enter contests on my phone. I could edit yep. my like cash lineup on my phone. But like everything, I'm not, I, I've never used the phone function. I load up the desktop site and start downloading CSVs on my phone. Like I, I've, is that what you do? Wait, so you're saying that you don't use your phone like to even like look at scores and stuff? No, no, I use my phone to, to sweat. But as far, so as, far as like, as far as change, like if I'm going to change 150 lineups, it is always going to be on my desktop computer. Okay, yeah. So I'm I'm different in that way. I do prefer my computer because obviously I can see more information. I pull up the boom bus tool as I'm building. I can look at, you know, how things change easier. But I mean in general I can I get the same information on my phone. I can't look at two things at once as easily, but I can still pull it up, pull up the uh, DraftKings desktop uh, within my browser. You can download the CSV right out. I mean it's it's pretty simple. You just download it from the DraftKings site, throw it into Fantasy Cruncher. My, my one issue is sometimes Fantasy Cruncher will save my information. Like if I make a bunch of projections adjustments in Fantasy Cruncher, usually it will save and they will stay there on my phone. So I'll see the work that I've already put in. Occasionally, uh, when news comes out, they will reset all of the projections, which is can be frustrating. Um, and then I have to kind of decide, well, how much do I really want to change here? Um, but typically, you know, it saves my information. It saves all the work that I've done before lock, uh, and it transfers to my phone so I can pretty easily make adjustments on my phone when, when news comes out, when I need to. But so exclude this, that, uh, you know, swap this guy in for that. And you're just doing that all on, all on a mobile web browser. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing it within fantasy Cruncher. So within the, the late swap optimizer, I'm importing yeah, but I mean, all it's, of my... But it's on your phone. It's like, it's this, it's, it's yeah. this big. Small, yeah. You have to scroll sideways and up and down. I was going to grab it, but it's it's plugged in, so I'm not going right. to. Right. Yeah. No, it's a, it is it's a small screen, but it's big enough that I could. It is, it's a little bit frustrating. So yes, if I'm home, I will come to my computer immediately because I can see a lot more information. It's easier to see the whole row on Fantasy Cruncher, whereas on my phone, I have to like scroll over, or do it sideways, like you're saying, all that kind of stuff. It's a little bit frustrating sometimes seeing what you're working with, but. In a pinch, it's it's not too bad. Well, what what your 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 laptop set? You, I mean, when you nor when you say your computer, you do all your stuff on a laptop. Yeah, I have my laptop hooked up to a big monitor that I use. Yeah. Okay, and how big is your monitor? Ooh, twenty four inches, maybe. Twenty four. Okay. Do you use the the laptop monitor also? No, I just okay. use the big. Oh, monitor. just one. Mo okay. So maybe maybe it's more of a screen space type of thing, like my. My normal setup, like right right now, I have three 27-inch monitors. Oh, wow. Okay. And I don't overlap anything. So, like, I everything has a window-tiled space. Like, across, I have, I have a browser space. I have a Discord. I have two Discord windows. I have a Slack window. I have my to-do list app window. I got TweetDeck going on one entire monitor. Like, like, I don't like any overlap. I'm not even a big fan of having that many tabs open. On my web browser, I want anything that I'm working on to be in front of me with me not having to switch out of view. So like everything is in view. So even when I, when I'm like aggregating stuff and looking at different information, 
I will open up a new Chrome window and put it over like, okay, I'm not looking at TweetDeck now, so I could use this entire monitor, and I will have multiple browser windows that show like, here's ETR's projection set, here's Awesomeo's this thing, here's the Roto-Grinders, so I could just look. I don't have to go, let me look back and forth and back and forth. I find that the most, for me, the most comfortable. It's just like everything I ever need is in front of me. And when I'm hyper-focused on building lineups, I start covering the Discord screens. With okay. stuff because it's like I'm not responding to anyone. I don't care what people are talking about right now. I'm in the middle of the... It's 12.30 before NFL lock. I'm not... There's not... I'm building my my lineups. I'm like... Nope. The, there's nothing else that's going on. So I have everything... I have literally have three screens... And I go, okay, what does Osimo's uh, boom bust tool look like? I could just turn to my third monitor and go, okay, that yep. checks out. Oh, that checks out. But I, would, maybe, I'm weird. maybe I'm weird. No, I think that that's pretty common within, you know, DFS professionals. I, I see the setups and I see the same thing everywhere. Um, so it might be useful for me to have two screens open at a time. Maybe it'd be useful for me to have three, but typically. Four, why I not like four? Have, why not have one of those day trading ones where people have like yeah, fucking eight sure. screens? But so I don't have all the same responsibilities as you. So like you say you have Discord open. I only pull up Discord when I want to, when somebody's messaged me or I have something I need to say to somebody. I'm not, I don't typically just have Discord open. Whereas I think you are, it's kind of part of your your job description is you're in Discord talking to people, answering questions. So you might have just more responsibilities than me. Uh, but I also, I haven't even gotten to the point where when I'm on a live stream, I don't even open up YouTube chat yet, which I need to get better at um, because I think that it is much better to have some, you know, back and forth with the chat. But uh, I, haven't, I haven't been a host yet, so I haven't really had the responsibility. But I'm like, I just want to have the one thing in front of me, what I'm looking at. And then occasionally if it's like, oh, wait, how did this player look in the boom bust tool? Then I'll just go to a different tab, open the boom bust tab, look at that a little bit. A lot of it, you know, I kind of remember what, what I saw when I read the boom bust, so it's not always necessary to have right in front of me um so typically yeah if i'm making lineups i just have fantasy cruncher in front of me and then i might be listening to a live stream or something but um yeah i'm, I'm well that's the same for me it's just that i like I, I i like having anything that i'm focused on i want to so i want like no, i want to see nothing else so like like if i'm if i'm putting together you know this recording you know clipping off the ends of the podcast you know it takes me 10 minutes to like, you know, change the thumbnail and upload this to YouTube and put in the description. It's like, well, I use, I have, you know, Audacity for the audio. I have Adobe Photoshop open. Like, it just takes up, like, that. I don't mind covering TweetDeck because, like, I'm not reading tweets at this point. I, I don't want to read tweets at this point. I don't want to see if they, someone is messaging me on Slack. Well, they'll wait 10 minutes. Like, I'm, this is what I'm doing right now. And then when I'm done with this, I'll get to that. And I, then I get, and typically I get annoyed when people when distract me, but that's why I right. said, I think, I think I'm, I'm autistic in, in some way. <laughs> I'm in, you know, I, I just, I, I don't want to, I one thing hyper-focus, but do, do, do you think that uh, the better DFS players, if you had to put a, 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 a spectrum, if you want to call it that mm-hmm. between people that hyper-focus versus people that are more likely to be able to like, compartmentalize and go like I could do six things at once I think hyper focus for sure I th- would be my guess that, most that, DFS that, that would be more beneficial I think so I think typically that's what most DFS players would be my guess you know I, when you see 
I don't know. When I think of the typical DFS player, it's kind of nerdy, really like focused on the numbers. Um, I think it's good to be hyper-focused because you have to look at a lot of data and analyze a lot of data and like keep one thing in the back of your mind, you know, this player's projection versus while, while you're looking at a different player's projection and ownership. So I don't know, be my guess that it's mostly hyper-focused people. Do, do you disagree with that? You think it's more people who are able to juggle a lot of different things at once? Well, I mean, I, I, but I find it that, because I take a look at, at some of the people that like are literally playing every slate on every site and go, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't even understand how that's, how you could even do that. Like, I, I mean, I just like the focus and I, how do you upload to five different sites, have the early only slate, have the tiers slate, have this, like, like have all of that done. The, the, the answer would either be it's, it's more of an automated process, Yep. which I, that, that's the stuff that I'm working towards. How do I get this more streamlined than I am so I could add more stuff, which I've gotten better with, which is, which is fine. I can build lineups. I used to, NFL used to be on Saturday night and I'm taking me four hours to build lineups. Now I feel comfortable. Like, dude, I could just wait until inactives. Yeah. Before I mean, doing, I do most of my work after right, inactives. Right. So I don't even have to stress, like I'm, I'm good. I know what yeah. I'm doing. Right. But it's like that extra, like, how do I bounce between like, okay, I got to do Yahoo. I got to do this. It seems like for for you that, you do you do it more hyper like I'm gonna go from one site to the next yep. site to the next site to the next site. But I, like to me, NBA late swap like that, just fucking shoot me. Like had like yeah. some news comes out eight minutes before lock, you got to change four different sites, five different sites. Like yeah. I wouldn't be I I I I throw up my hands and go. I guess I'm losing today. I'm just like right. like. Or yeah. I fo- or what I, I do is I focus on one site and say I guess FanDuel just doesn't get fucking taken care of. And that's what happens to me a lot. I miss lock on FanDuel and so be it. You know, FanDuel is usually a cheaper entry fee. It'll be 750 bucks down the drain. That sucks. But like, I have a lot more on DraftKings, so I'm going to play there. But typically for NBA, I don't play more than the two sites. Sometimes I do, but most days it's just DraftKings and FanDuel. And DraftKings gets way more of my attention because it's I have a lot more invested in DraftKings. Um, so yeah, I, I play both and... I do my best, but yes, DraftKings is definitely typically my focus for NBA, uh, for better or worse. And what you go, so you go basically from DraftKings to FanDuel to Yahoo to SuperDraft for for football or for anything yes. like that. that so would be your order. Yeah, typically that's what I do. Uh, sometimes I do it reverse order, and that's kind of a mistake. I've I've tried weeks where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do my the ones that I have less money on. I'm going to get them out of the way first because I know that I once I get to DraftKings, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get hyper focused. I'm gonna get it done, uh, and then I just don't do as well with my DraftKings lineup. So typically, yes, I would say I do my DraftKings lineups first, and then I do FanDuel, and then I do Yahoo, and then if I can find the time, I'll do Enter for SuperDraft. I'll look at I mean, and SuperDraft I typically only play if there is overlay. Uh, so like yesterday, I saw that there were only 5,000 entries in the 7,500 entry contest with three minutes left or something like that. So I tried to slam them in, but I think uh, Fantasy Crunchers maybe stopped uh, updating for Superdraft because the projections were just not nearly as good as for the other site. So I tried to really quickly re- uh, adjust them and make them usable in like the minute before lock and didn't end up getting any lineups in, which was a bummer. But yeah, typically DraftKings, FanDuel, Yahoo, Superdraft. Pretty sure that's all I play at this point. There was a while where I was playing five sites occasionally. I think I played maybe some Thrive Fantasy at one point. I don't know. It's 
I've forgotten the lineups before. Like the to me, I, I I've had, and this is only with two sites that you work. That I'm hyper focused enough on DraftKings that like like for NBA, this would happen in NBA that I'd be that there'd be a lot of news that comes out at like a half an hour before lock or whatever. And I'm working diligently on, and I'm playing a hundred lineups on DraftKings, and I'm I also have a hundred lineups on FanDuel, and the news comes out, and I'm doing everything in DraftKings, everything I'm doing, whatever, and it's just like completely so hyper focused on DraftKings, and I just at at the skin of my teeth, it's six fifty nine. I upload. I'm taking a look at the clock. I hope I get the upload button in on time, and I get it in on time. I go, oh, thank God, DraftKings, I. Like, okay, I'm good for this NBA slate. I time to relax or whatever. And like two minutes goes by. I get up and like I take a piss or whatever. And then I go, oh shit, I have FanDuel lineups. Like that I yep. just, I literally didn't even do. I know that do. feeling. Yeah. Didn't yep. even do. Just like, it's my dummy lineup in a hundred lines. Like I just completely forgot about it. Yeah. It's frustrating. I have, uh, this year is the first year that I look at my, my 1% charts and I have, uh, big spike at the 100th percentile <laughs> because of a fan duel that I just completely forgot about. And then it was also the day that you couldn't adjust after lock. So it was like uh, there, there was one day where the late swap swap wasn't working for fan duel or whatever their, their change after lock. So I was just stuck with my dummy lineup that had dead players in it. And just, I ended up in the hundredth percentile. So I have a huge spike there this year on fan duel. Now it occurs to me. So we were talking about, uh, playing while you are out i was at a holiday party on saturday and it just occurred to me that i actually that was a time where i saw the news that will barton was out and i was like oh i need to change this but i was like talking to people doing stuff so i was like all right in a minute i'm gonna go to the bathroom and change this and then it was 7 30 i was like there's no way it's a 7 30 lock right 7 30 central time and then sure enough i look at it and it was a 7 30 lock so i had will barton in several months i'm sure it would have been a lot better if i could have swapped to some of the you know players who got boost because will barton was out but osmo had him projected in so uh it is definitely it's probably negative EV for me to play when i have other plans um but you do it anyway because to... you're degenerate exactly yes that's why you got to play mma on saturdays there's no late swap in mma yeah i thought about playing mma this week but i just had too much going on on saturday oh, it would have been fun there... I, I, lo- I lost money but i'm not i'm not i'm not upset with how i played it sounded like so. Did you play any of uh, the person who was fighting against Nunez? No, but you didn't need her anyway, so it didn't even okay. matter. Uh, yeah. uh, no, I played 150 lineups. I got I think 74 uniques and 120 under fives. So once nice. I saw that when it locked, it's like whatever happens happens. And uh, I I was under on Nunez, so and she lost, and yeah. she was the most owned. She was 61 percent owned. Uh, uh, way under on Poirier, who was the main event favorite, he lost. Uh, but I also was on way under on Sean O'Malley, who was like the third most owned fighter. He won, and then I had almost none of the Blanchfield, who was the highest scoring underdog, because I wow. had her as the most overowned underdog, and I had wow. O'Malley as the most overowned uh, favorite. So like that, the way that I build my lineups is like and like that. Yep. I get tons of unique like from a from a perspective of at lock i'm fine with it or whatever but just like minus 70 percent and just like what else am i gonna do you tell me that i have half my lineups are unique and over 120 or under yeah. five and in a large like i and they're good lineups it's not like i'm playing like like they're all lineup and and the funny part is they're all lineups that didn't leave more than a thousand on the table 
Oh wow. Because huh. because it was a fifteen, it was a fourteen fight card, but the ownership got so condensed on like three or four people that it's like, like dude, I had lineups that had none of those. It's wow. like, and then we had people that were like 12 percent owned, put up one hundred and twenty points. And I'm like multiple people like that, so I'm like, how do I not win here? It's like, oh, because I don't have I don't have the forty percent owned guy. Yeah, and I don't it's have I don't have yeah right the forty percent the the one guy up there. Got there, and then the big, the underdog that was twenty two percent owned, that should have only been ten percent owned, she got there, and now it's like I don't have that many lineups that are like live. But you at least know that if you keep playing this way every slate over the long term, it's going to be plus EV. You're going to make money. I think a lot of people probably try to play that way twice and lose, and they're just like, okay, DFS isn't for me. I guess I play every. I mean, look, look at my MMA results. Like my MMA results, I think I've played a total of, I think forty slates, right? Because I only started playing since COVID. Uh, forty slates. I think I've lost money on thirty-seven of them. Yeah, I mean it's it's very. But similar but the three that I've won money on is way. I mean, come on, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm up over a hundred thousand dollars in MMA. So yeah. I mean, like, yep. <laughs> but that's but that's the point. But I it's 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 uh like that's why I've said I'm not upset. It's like my results were minus seventy percent, but yeah. like. I could judge how I played simply once lock hits. Yeah, once lock sure. hits Look and I could see all the ownership and I could go, did I play the, like same thing we said with Zeke Elliott of like, did the guy come in over or under with CD Lamb? Like, oh, I played too much CD Lamb because I thought he would be low owned. Yeah. Like the guys that I thought were under owned were actually lower owned than they than I expected. And the guys that were over owned were even more owned than I. So it's like, I look right. at this and I go, Dude, if anything, I would have changed. I would have had more of these. I mean, like it would have, right. like it would have been even more uh, asymmetric, like yeah. that. So, and then I see my uniques and I see my under fives, and I go, like I played well, and like I could, like I could just whatever happens happens at that point. But yep. it's it's the slates where where it's a twelve it's a twelve fights card. I play one hundred fifty lineups. I get eight uniques and twenty five under fives, and I go, yep. I, I I miscalculated this shit, right? And like yeah. and and sometimes like I there was one slate that that's that happened, and I and I won, and I came in right. I, I I was like an eighty seven way tie for first. It was a very yep. duplicated lineup, so it like it netted me like six thousand dollars or something. It looks like, great in your rotor grinders rankings, right? It looks right. It looks great in that, but like it's not that's not a profitable lineup. Like that, right. like yeah. the results showed that that was the optimal tied eighty seven ways, but like. I look at that lineup at lock and go, yeah, I played poorly. Like th- yeah. those, those weren't good lineups. It just, well, I, was like, I managed to get I, them. I locked in Chris Boucher. I think it was last Wednesday. Chris Boucher, uh, the news came out that he was starting and I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to lock in Chris Boucher. He's going to be 20% owned. I'm going to have a hundred percent. He's going to go off. And then uh, game locks and he's 50% owned. And it's like, yeah, sometimes you just, you overestimate or underestimate the field, what the field is going to do. And that, kind of determines whether it's a good play or not. Um, and he was fine. He didn't do great anyway, so it wasn't a game breaker either way. But even if he had gone off, it's like, well, yeah, he went off and 50% of the field had him. So you didn't really have as big of an edge as you thought you had. If I had known he was going to be 50% owned as a somewhat volatile player, maybe I would not have had 100%. But yeah, it's uh, 
it's an interesting concept, kind of knowing knowing whether you played the slate well as soon as you can see ownership. And that's a, it's always a fun thing for me on Showdown in particular when I download the sheet to see how owned is everybody, how how where am I relative to everybody else. It's always fun to see where the field actually comes in at because you can learn a lot when you. I mean, seeing Jakeem Grant was 11% owned. I probably would have had zero if I had known he was going to be 11% owned last night. Of course, would have been a bad decision in terms of results, but I think it was probably the smart decision to not go to Jakeem Grant at at 11% owned yesterday. Well, just so, like on um, last week's slate with Dalvin Cook. And I'm like, if Dalvin Cook's actually going to be 24% owned, like I'm jamming him in. Like, wh- like why are people, oh, they're scared of the injury. But that's, but getting back to, to, to bookend the whole conversation from the very beginning of like, where I was on a show saying that I think Dalvin Cook is the best play on the entire slate at 24% ownership. And people are like, aren't you scared of the injury? It's like, no, the field is scared of the injury. Like, right. like I'm going to play with, if you tell me Dalvin Cook's going to be 55%, if, if there was no injury concern whatsoever, and he was a 10-8 running back in this spot on showdown, he'd be 16% in the captain and 60% in the flex. Like, and no one would have a problem playing Dalvin Cook on the slate. So why, what, uh, like, like there's some factor either people are going to act like the injury doesn't exist or they're going to act like the injury is too much. Like I just want to be on the other side. And it looks like the other side is treating Dalvin cook as a full workhorse Dalvin cook. But I even said on the show, it's like we have him at 24%. We're projecting that the field is going to be wary of him, but maybe it ends up that the field isn't wary of him. And he ends up coming in at 45% owned. So it's like, to me, this is, I don't know where it's going to go, but I lead more on the side that people are going to be concerned. So I okay. I went so towards that side. I, I played the slate opposite. So I, I went to that game. I had a friend in town, uh, came in town oh, yeah, for you that went, game. I saw on Twitter, you went big, to big that Steelers game. Steelers fan. Yep. So I we were going out before the game. I didn't have the opportunity to really adjust like after inactives or like factor in what actually like the projected ownership was late. So when I was making my lineups, I got notification Adam Schefter saying, Delvin Cook, a full go will have full workload or something like that. So my response to that was, I think the field, because this is coming from Adam Schefter, the field is going to play a lot of Delvin Cook. Mm. And because I think the field is going to be really high on Delvin Cook and they're going to fade Alexander Madison, I'm going to do the opposite, which obviously didn't work out. But that was my thinking when I was trying to make it, you know, trying to uh, make this calculation hours before lock. I was like, I think the field is probably going to get there because Adam Schefter, people love Adam Schefter. They're going to respond there. The report is saying that he's a full go. I think people will probably trust it. And I'm just going to assume that he's not a full go, which was, was not the case, obviously. And I right, but, I but your decision was based on the fact that you thought Dalvin Cook would be more closer to 48% than 24%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's really what it came down to who could predict ownership better and and I, I, I tend I tend to be right more than not, except for CeeDee Lamb. Yeah. Except for CeeDee. Fucking Cowboys. But still, it's not like it was a 30% difference. It wasn't. It was a know, 50% difference. I mean, dude, oh, dude yeah, I, yeah. Uh, Lamb, it's a, I mean, look, I, I thought it would be 9% only. He comes in at 18. Like, I'm right. off by a lot. That, that yeah, is a true. lot. That is true. That is, <laughs> right? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. When I, I think Hunter Redford is like, going to be 22 yeah. and he comes in at 14. Like, right. that's a lot. Right? It is. It is. <laughs> right. Which I don't try to predict ownership. I just try to go with what the tools tell me. Um, that, that's yeah, but if you go to that, different sites, you'll see different things also. 
Yeah, yeah. That's, right, you'll go and you we go. We talked about like, that last week. It's probably something I should be looking at at least to see if there are any huge disparities. And then maybe, because, you know, I, I try to project a little bit different than what they're telling me. So maybe it would be smart to try to do that for ownership. I just, I don't have any confidence in my ability to predict ownership. So I, so far, I'm just kind of trusting what they tell me. And usually it works out, but obviously sometimes there are misses. You know what would help you? Having more computer screens. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Running those calculations on my third screen. Right. No, yeah. you have all the ownership in front. You have all the projections in front. Oh, from, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. From, so you can see it's like, well, this good. side has this and this side has that. And then also you look at the articles and stuff and you go, go, well, you know, this site is just like pumping up this guy for no fucking reason. Yep. Like Everybody's what makes Austin Hooper that much of a better place than Jared Cook? Like, I don't understand. Yep. Like, yes, he's projected for a half a point more, but why is it... Like why why is why is that a core play but Jared Cook isn't a core like that's right. the type of stuff and you take a look at like rankings around the industry and then you look and you go it's Sunday morning and I don't know why Javante Williams is still on all these lists right right so it's like my projections say that Williams should only be like ten percent owned like it's that he should efficiently be like six percent owned and right and based on the projections even now. 10% would be at least reasonable. Right. Why, like, is he going to really, if everyone's just using projections, he's going to come in at like 10% or six to 10%. And maybe I do play him at that. Maybe he's, he's viable, but I'm right. looking around and like, I still see people touting Javante Williams, even with Gordon active. So it's like, yeah, people are, he's, he's going to be like 22% on. It's like, okay, X, but like, this is easy. This is right. an easy game. But I mean, if you just looked at the pure numbers, You'd see absolutely no reason why Javante Williams should be that owned. Unless right. you just take a look and see that everyone's been, been he's been on all these lists on Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. And he's going to be probably less owned in the higher stakes. But if you're playing lower stakes, it's like, you know, this, you know, like I knew Jamison Crowder would be popular in cash. Like I knew it. Number one, he was coming up as, you know, in, in optimals, right? Because he's cheap 4,700 and there was really no wide receiver value. And if you wanted to get Eckler, Crowder mattered on what your Eckler projection was. Because the more that Eckler was higher than Zeke and Fournette, the more that the combination of Eckler and Crowder beat out slightly the combination of Fournette and Renfro or like one of those types of situations. But I noticed on ETR, if you go to their top plays... Jameson Crowder was the number two wide receiver player on their top plays. So okay. it's like, I know that based on based on this, right, Hunter Renfro wasn't even listed as with a little blurb, but Jameson Crowder was. So I'm like, hmm. it's only a, a quarter of a point difference in projection between these two lineups. But I know that Crowder's going to be more, I know, I, I know, I, I mean, I know that that my line, I, I, I didn't play Crowder in cash because that, that, that was my big stand of like, why the fuck do we have to play Jay- a guy that's getting the ball from Zach Wilson in cash games? Like, get the fuck yeah. out of here, right? I'll play Hunter Renfro, Godwin, and Williams, and then figure it. Like, we have enough running backs. Give me three of them, right? Give me the Browns or the Seahawks. Give me any of the cheap tight ends. I don't give a fuck what they are. I don't need Austin Hooper. Right? Yeah. And that's, but I mean, but in order for me to judge that, I have to know that, like, on Sunday morning, once I saw, once I saw the Crowder was still being listed on ETR. Which what was it wrong? If you played that lineup, that optimal lineup, you still cashed in double up. So it's not like like it was bad or anything. But I scored so I outscored you, it by like twenty two points or something. But I I started entering a lot of head to heads and triple ups. 
Are you saying that you think that ETR moves the needle? That's why you factored in? Okay. ET, ETR moves the needle more than any other site. Even more so than Roto-Grinders? Oh, way more. Way, way huh. more so. Okay. That's good to know. I didn't I didn't realize I that. would say ET, ETR has, has probably four times the amount of influence on ownership than any other site. Wow. Okay. Interesting. They're pretty new. They're, they're only... What, well, still, it's old? Levitan and Evan Silva, and I mean, yeah, yeah, big, big guys. Right, we're guys. talking. It's not. It's not new. Yeah, they're new yeah. to that to putting it together something that they. It's do not together. me starting the site. It's yeah, guys right, who right. Established in the industry, yeah. Right. So, like, I know the way that I know the way what what they say more than than others, and what their lists are, what their projections are. I don't necessarily weight their projections any more different than other. I weight the blitz projections higher, but like, not as many people look at the blitz compared. To ETR, but also I could use all these projections to build whatever the fuck lineups I want and know what other people are going to do. Because all right. I do is I, I I I I export I import them into Lineup HQ and I just go to the selector and I go show me the top five lineups from this projection source and I go okay yeah there's the there's the blitz optimal that I could just see I when you're playing cash games it's like I know what I'm going against it's like if you're playing the blitz optimal you're playing Eckler this if you're playing the awesome if you're playing more of the Osmo, you're probably playing more of Zeke mm-hmm. over Fournette. If you're playing ETR, you're playing Fournette over Zeke. If you're playing the Blitz, it's Zeke over Fournette. What do I do? The defenses, it's like slight different. I mean, you could predict everything, and especially when people don't use the tools properly, and they're just like, I'm just going to run 150 or whatever the fuck. Yeah, whatever, the, whatever it tells me to do. Whatever yep. it tells you to do. Like, it's, it's so much easier to say, yeah, Crowder's going to be overowned, and this guy's going to be whatever. And and Cooper and Lamb did not have good projections in comparison to other wide receivers. The only reason they came up more for me is because they were so much lower owned than they should be at 9% owned. But had I bumped them to the actual of 18 and 14, it's quite possible I get none of them, right? That's yep. how big of the difference is. So to me, the number of screens is what's the key, right? You put, you put all, all right. the information out. Like, but, but, but I've been doing this for a while. Like, like this is, I, if I have a secret sauce when it comes to DFS is that I, I'm much better at reading the field than, 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 than an out, than an algorithm can. Like, I'm not going to do the player projections in my head. Well, I'll let, I'll let the tools do that. Yeah. But as far as just knowing how people are. Like I just, but and that's what I was in poker, like learning the betting patterns of people and go, this person isn't capable of making this move with that hand. So like I, I could just eliminate those hand ranges. Like to me, that's to me, that's the secret sauce. And that's why I don't mind getting on like the pregame show or any show and say, here's the process that I use. Mm-hmm. Highest rejection, lowest ownership. The only difference yeah. is, is that you see these numbers in the ownership column on our RG. Those aren't going to be the, the numbers that I have. So right. feel free to do exactly what I like on Friday. I'll literally do that. I'll go here. If I would just to use these numbers, here are 20 lineups that I would play on Sunday. The difference yep. is, is that like, I don't think Zeke's going to be 8% owned. I think he's going to be 14% owned. I don't yep. think this guy's going to like, I'm changing these numbers. So yeah. once I start changing these numbers, I'm not going to get these 20 lineups. But if you just want to trust the RG stuff, it's way more accurate than, you trying to just close your eyes and predict what the ownership's going to be, but I believe that I I'm much better off. And most of, most of the time, most of the time, I, I'm on the key players that I'm looking at closer. And that's why that's why I said that uh, I was hoodwinked on the Cowboys because even me, I I did not even 
like the Cowboys weren't on the board anywhere until like until like late late. Yeah. Until it's like everyone's doing this, everyone's doing this. Maybe the Cowboys are sneaky. So I started hearing Cowboys are sneaky talking, and like I haven't heard it, I haven't seen enough. The projections don't like they're not being jammed in anywhere. So it's yeah. like I have no reason to bump these guys up from like nine, ten, eleven percent owned to fifteen to eighteen percent owned. I have more likelihood that Zeke is going to be more owned than the receivers. That would have been my guess for sure. Right. That would have been right. And so like I was off on that, but like everything else, right? For the most well, part, I'm but the it's a pretty good play, that Renfro, the Renfro and the Cowboys. But that was the key things that like doomed me from because yeah. that's I don't need to get fucking did I get did I get Stefan Diggs right? right? Like I think I had Diggs at like 14 and he came in at what? 11? I don't know. Yeah. Like close enough. I wasn't playing much of him anyway, so it didn't even matter. I'd met Cap at, at 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 like nine, he came in at ten. Like I had Chase at eight and he came in at ten. I had Higgins much more. Like so Higgins. I thought Higgins would be eight to ten. He came in at four, so it's like it's always those key guys. But like, like Kamara, I had his over owned. I wasn't playing him at all. So it's like I don't even care as long as he's more than twenty percent owned. I wasn't going to play him anyway. So I don't care how off I am. Well, I thought he was going to be twenty two when he came in at twenty six. Well, I thought he was over owned at twenty two. So yeah, I ain't playing him anyway, right? Yep. But that's going to matter when you build one hundred and fifty lineups. Sure. Like those ownerships matter. Yeah. But over time, if you just use the awesome old projections for the ownership, like you're still going to be building plus EV line. I mean, like, yeah, it's close right? enough. Right. It's it's close enough. I think I think if, if we both played the same over the course of a five year period, I think I would do slightly better than you. With Playing slightly better, slightly better. With you having your ownership projections. Right. Yeah, yeah. I would yep. do slightly, but we would still both be profitable. So like the edge that I get from my perceived ability to have a better ownership grasp is not, is not worth not doing the first things correct. Yeah. I think that, I, I think mean, it's, that, definitely a, it's an edge for sure. It's a pretty big edge to, but it, to but be it, able to accurately do projections. But since I have pretty good projections coming from an outside source, yeah, it, it takes away some of that edge. Right. Well, that's it would have been a huge edge, you know, five or six years ago when this wasn't all public. Right. Were you, were you playing, were you doing ownership projections at that time? Okay. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I only started playing in 2015, so I mean... Okay. I only started playing all the other sports in 2017, besides soccer, so like, like, it was all out there. But I just, I would notice in contests and go, like, this 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 number, I would just instinctually know this number doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Like, I just keep on hearing about, like, why would, people are going to play this guy more, because it's a one-point difference, and algorithmically, mathematically, it should be 20% owned and 18% owned, and based on well, I hear twice as much people talking about one guy over the other guy. It's gonna yep. it's gonna end up being twenty six and twelve, yep. right? It's gonna end up something like that instead. And I just yep. always was like like no, I don't, I don't trust this number. Like the player projection, I trust, but the the numbers, the ownership numbers, it's like because pe- people are aren't rational. Right. Like a lot of times the the ownership projections assume a more rational market, and I know people are stupid. People are fucking yep. dumb as fuck. Right. I know I know how the world works. Right. I've yeah. gone out and seen people. Right. Yeah. So people you have also, to you have to so adjust say, for that. In that specific scenario, I think it also can be people don't always have enough time. So like if you're using an optimizer, the optimizer is gonna give you more of the guy who projects a point better 
and it's not going to factor in the ownership necessarily. So my best slates typically are the ones where I have time to manually adjust the different projections just a little bit. So I get more of the guy who's projects slightly worse, but is way lower owned. But then on the days where I say like, oh, I'm just going to start doing it 20 minutes before lock. I just decided to play. I might not have the time to do that. And that, that has happened to me a couple of times this year where I've been like, man, I got a ton of uh, precious Achua when he was starting and like, I hadn't really done any research. I decided to play because I'm an addict, a degenerate. Uh, I played anyway. And I got a ton of Precious Achua and uh, who was the other one? Svi, Mikhailuk. I got a ton of those guys. And then I see, uh, I think that was the day that Shit My Money tweeted out like, man, this is great this year. People are just playing a ton of these bad chalk plays. And I was like, damn it, I... I'm one of the people who played those guys and it's because sometimes you're just you don't have the time to make those manual adjustments and even if you had thought about it you would have some days you just have those slates and i'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are just like well i'm gonna play the slate i'll just do what it tells me to and you can kind of count on that happening even among good players i think sometimes yeah but don't you think that's a leak like when i hear when i hear you say when i hear you say oh i just did it because i didn't have the time like my attitude is if you didn't have the time you shouldn't have been playing that's that's a good attitude. <laughs> right. That's probably that's probably smart. That is that is a leak. I agree with you. Right. Or maybe you've won on those slates. One hundred thousand on those. Well, that's I think that's I think that's probably the reason that I did it again this year is because I had that that time last year was like, but that was also a different slate, and I probably need to factor in that that time I thought I had an edge as I was seeing the news come in. I was like, oh, I think this player is going to be under owned. Like without even looking at anything, there are some slates where it's like, I think I have an edge because I think I know what the field is going to do, and I think I know what you know they're going to miss. And I think that was what happened on the slate that I was a three-pointer away from winning. Whereas on this slate, I didn't really have that edge. I just was counting on other people are not going to adjust well to. Like it was people were, you know, being ruled out. And uh, I think uh, Achua maybe was named the starter pretty late. And so I was like, well, I don't really have a strong feel for what the Toronto rotation is going to be. But my guess is that other people are going to play it wrong. And I'm just going to trust the Osmo projections and hopefully that'll work out for me. And then in that case, it did not. Um, but yeah, probably probably would be wise to stay away when I don't really have a good feel for the slate. And I'm just hoping that other people screw up while I rely on projections because, yeah. It doesn't, I think over, doesn't but I think over time, macro-wise, you'd be correct. Yeah. Right? I mean, just that, relying I mean, on the projections. Just did it that Assuming way, probably... people, other people are going to screw up the projections, I'm using good projections and late swap optimizing, assuming that I have enough edge there, you think is probably macro-wise a big enough edge? Right. Even Right. I think macro-wise... I'd... If you just did that all the time, I, it, you, I, I mean, it's one of those things where how do you know when you're focused or when you're not focused? Like, like it's like there's some slates where the amount of information you have to process is actually like very minimal. Like, like occasionally you do get an NBA slate that's like, wow, really nothing changed since one o'clock. Right? I mean, like, right? Like, like there's that, that, like, so if you did it that time. Like it would have been fine. And like, it's, it's really the crazy ones, but a lot of times it's the crazy ones before lock that have the biggest edge. Oh, and if you just jam projections, everyone else is going to fuck up enough that, that you didn't have, right. I, I understand, I understand where it's coming, but, but my natural instinct is, like I said, with the hyper-focus of like, if I can't hyper-focus, right. I, if, I mean, even, even with my wife, I have a policy of like, if I, if my door in my office is closed, that means, I'm not to be disturbed. And if the door is open, that's perfectly fine to fine to disturb me because we had to have that because my, my wife has the complete opposite. Like I'm a hyper-focused individual and she is ADHD, right? So she's the complete opposite. So like she she's used to like, 
It'll be uh, 6.56 before NBA lock. And she's coming in going, okay, we could have this for dinner or that for dinner or this. And my, my, my get out of here. Like I'm done. <laughs> right. And like, yep. like I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a little extra mean in those situations because I don't want to. Like I'm in, the, I'm hyper focused on something and then I'm being distracted. Yep. So it's yep. like, we have to. If the doors close, you know, like, but if the doors open and and she comes in, that it, then at least it's my fault because I didn't close the door, right? right? Yep. Type of thing. But it's like yep. coming from that type of type of brain pattern. Like I just can't fathom. Like, like oh, uh, uh, I'm. Yeah, like a half an hour before lock. Yeah, I'm gonna just jam in 150 lineups, even though I haven't looked at this. Like, like I just, yeah. I just don't play. It's just like that's yep. right. I'll do the ad like in NFL. I'll do afternoon only slates because it's like okay. Well, once one o'clock locks, like there's not what I could play the afternoon only slate, but I don't play the early yeah. only slate because it's like the early only slate. I'm making lineups for the main slate, so it's like, like I'm focused on that one slate and then this one slate and then showdown. Later, and if I don't, and sometimes yeah. I'm just mentally exhausted, right? Yeah, right. Yep. MMA was until one o'clock in the morning. Then I wake up, I have to at eight o'clock in the morning for NFL, and then I'm just sick of fucking everything. And it's like, so I don't play Sunday Showdown, and so I don't, so I don't end up playing. You know, uh, uh, you know, I look, I saw that line with Jakeem Grant and yep. and Demir Bird and whatever. I'm like, good. I would have lost on that slate. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad I, I didn't did. play it at all. So that that's fine. And I just yep. don't even watch football at that point. Yeah, I'm just sick of this because because who would that who in their right mind would watch an island NFL game without anything any any type of financial stake or any type of personal stake on the line i it's unfathomable to me it is the it is is the worst experience it is the worst experience I mean, and, I, I, and I watch football. monday night raw and that yeah. is and that is such an awful wrestling product that i'm more likely to watch that for three hours than a monday night football game yeah i mean i i think that i do somewhat enjoy watching football even without uh the financial aspects tied to it but I also don't. I also don't do it. So I, maybe I'm wrong. At this point, I just watch football, and I I always know exactly what I'm rooting for. So it's a, a different experience, I guess, than my childhood watching the Vikings just for the fun of it, just because I loved the purple and gold. Are you Are you old enough for Herschel Walker Vikings? Uh, I was alive, but no, I don't remember Herschel Walker Vikings. No. You're. I, I, I mean, we're about, we're almost the same age, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was early '90s, and I, I was born 1983, so I was uh, okay. So you're four remember. years you're four years younger than me. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't have much memory from like childhood until like <laughs> you know teenage, maybe preteen years. I start having more memories. I, I more remember like Robert Smith Vikings years. Okay, okay. So that's a that's towards the, towards the point where I stopped watching much. Yeah. Right. Just like I was a Giants fan, so like to me the 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 you know I was I was a uh, when I was younger, like a Mark Bavaro, Phil Sims, you know, Judge uh, Joe Morris, nineteen eighty six, uh, okay. Giants fan, and then in nineteen ninety, then we had uh, O.J. Anderson and Rodney Hampton, and and then obviously Hostetler came in that for that Super Bowl, and then then we had really hot, then then Ray Handley came in as the coach, and we had like fucking ten years of fucking garbage for the Giants until. Uh, yeah, yeah. So like, but I'm, I mean, my father was a giant season ticket holder, so that's why. Okay. Like, that's why I remember even when I was seven, the Giants yeah. because he, we he watched the Giants. Hard. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. 
Okay, so uh, if anyone would like to donate uh, extra screens to Neil, I could use them. You could use them. I don't know. Do you have enough ports in your in your laptop? You have to have enough like uh, HDMI outputs. I, I have a brand new laptop, so I've, I've got a lot more than I, I actually bought this laptop specifically for extra USB ports. I think I've got six. Well, you know, you don't need USB. You need HDMI. Ooh, uh, I get a USB to HDMI converter can i yeah but that doesn't work that that doesn't I, work that it doesn't work that way okay. you right. there are devices that do that but it'll be heavily delayed essentially it becomes a oh. screen capture tool we could talk about that we talked about the tech with the microphones before before the show yeah. uh no well that's the reason why i have a desk like i got rid of my lap i gave my wife my laptop because i i had a i had an extra video card in there so i could plug it into four monitors if i wanted to uh but then i i never went anywhere so it's like why do I need a laptop where I could just buy an, a 27-inch iMac and just connect it to whatever I need? It has the power to do whatever the hell it could do. So, right. so I think, but I think you could, I think most laptops, you may be able, are, are you PC or Mac? PC. Ah, uh, then I have no fucking clue. But I, I was going to say, so Thunderbolt, you could, you could uh, chain two monitors together, but whatever. PC I haven't used in 11 years, so. I don't know. Okay. Is, is this the tech support show now? If you want to give tech support, you can leave it in the comments yeah. on YouTube if you if you want. Tell Neil what types of computers and stuff to buy. That's perfectly fine. And people can follow you at PlayerQDFS. And uh, you're on more awesome shows now. I am. Yep. I, I do the Monday night football show right now and I do a Saturday show. I'm actually going to be on a couple of shows, extra shows this week, subbing in for people. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm contributing at Osmo here and there. Right. It's the holiday season. So people want to take off. Yep. You'll fill in. Yeah, I got the time. Okay, you can follow me at Blender HD as always. The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15 hour audio DFS masterclass that you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com.